to speak with you all today, um, even though the topic is about contentment. <laughs> I remember when Paula asked me, she's like, so um, would you be willing to speak again and to speak about the topic about contentment? Not that we think you need like, to figure it out, but um, would you mind doing that? And I'm like, sure, I can do that. Well, I'll be honest with you, I've never given contentment a whole lot of thought. I don't know if you have. And honestly, last night my husband's like, so are you, are you prepared? And I'm like, well, I'm probably overly prepared, which is part of my problem, but I don't feel like it's enough. And he goes, Renee, you need to be content with the work that you've done. <laughs> and I said, you are exactly right. But even as I came here today, sorry, I don't know why it's ringing. When I was talking, do I need to tip it down? When I was talking to Mary and Paula, I said, there is so much good stuff that is on my heart to share, but I'm struggling sharing it because what I realized as I was studying in contentment, my heart is still wrestling with it. And some of it might come through as I'm sharing today because there is just something about contentment that is amazingly wonderful but yet feels so hard. And I don't think it's by accident that it was scheduled to talk about contentment here in January. Because I think, as I was thinking about the new year, a lot of times what happens, we get excited with these new goals, these new resolutions, and some of you are like, no, I don't do that, and that's absolutely fine. But what happens is we come in with a new year, but we're carrying unmet expectations, dissatisfaction or disappointment from the year prior, so we come in thinking this is the year these things are going to start changing, okay? But what if we started this year, instead of being driven forward from a place of lack and disappointment that is lingering from the year prior, what if we started this year from a place of already being satisfied? How different would it look for you to make goals or desires or um, outlook for this next year? Okay, so we're going to try to figure out what would that look like and what does it mean to truly be satisfied, how to be content. So I'm going to, I gave you some notes and honestly, your notes are my notes. I just took the extra stuff out and if it, um, so welcome to a little glimpse into my brain. So if it stresses you out, you don't have to use it, but I'm a note taker. So my goal here is, one, I want to define contentment because we really need to learn what contentment is if we want to experience what it is. But obviously, looking at the biblical perspective of what it means to be content. And then I do have four points on there to make about what contentment is not. Because what happens, the enemy will take a partial truth and he'll start twisting it. And that's what I found out that he was doing for me when it came to contentment. I did not want to look at contentment because I was afraid, because I thought content, I was stuck in this lie that being content meant I was going to become complacent. And so what it did, that lie stuck, kept me stuck in a cycle of constant striving and exhaustion because I was afraid if I didn't stay there, I was going to get complacent and then I wouldn't do anything, all right? But complacency and contentment are not the same thing. 
So let's um, first define what contentment is. So this is how my brain works when I start learning stuff. So I just looked up the Webster's definition of contentment, okay? It is the quality or state of being contented. I looked at that and like, I am not happy with that. So I looked up contented, <laughs> and contented is feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possessions, status, or situation. So ultimately, contentment is the state of being satisfied with one's possession, status, or situation. All right, so now that we kind of have a definition of contentment, or at least what Webster says is contentment, now I want to think, okay, so what are some words that are very similar to contentment? And I want you to keep, you know, write these down if you want to write them down, or just keep them in mind, because you're going to hear these words come up as I talk today. Satisfaction, happiness, pleasure, joy, and delight. Oh my gosh, that is my favorite word. I can't wait till we get to that. Okay, so now we know what it is. We know that there are words that are very similar to contentment. Kind of gives you the same feeling and same sense. But what, now we want to know what contentment is not. So um, those, are, those would be the antonyms in case any of you were not big in um, English like I was in school. So these are opposite of what contentment is. These words are dissatisfaction. Makes sense. Unhappiness. Discontent. I looked up that... Uh, Definition as well, and discontent is the condition of being dissatisfied with one's life or situation. Two other word, or two other antonyms are misery and sorrow. There's more up there, but I just pulled out a few to list there. So maybe, hopefully, you're kind of starting to get a sense of what you think contentment might be. So as I'm Google searching more, I'm reading some blogs, trying to, I'm like, okay, so what does contentment really mean? And there was kind of two overarching themes of what the world view is like regarding contentment. So the first word, kind of like a world view of, towards contentment is, you are happy because you now have all that you wanted or needed. Okay? So if this is the case, this implies that contentment is contingent on your circumstances. So you will be happy, you will be satisfied, content when you receive what you've always wanted. So if this is true of contentment, then discontentment says, I'll be happy when I get what I want. So if you have ever found yourself in a place saying, if this, you fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. All right? I'm sure most of us here can say at some point in our life, or even now, there is some area in our life that we have those thoughts. That if this happens, then I'll be okay. If this, then life will be good. Right? If I get this job, then I'll be secure. If I lose 10 pounds, then I'll be beautiful. We live in this. Um, another thing is if only. We live in the land of if only. If only my husband would do this, then I'll be satisfied in my marriage. We kind of live in that place. That is a sign. When you feel yourself start to say those things, there's something going on here when it comes to discontentment. All right, the second, um, like, kind of a world perspective when it comes to contentment, and this is just simply being happy with what you already have. And I don't know about you, but there are some things in my life right now that I am happy and content 
but there are some things in my life that I look at, and I'm like, really? I'm, I'm just supposed to just be content with things the way they are when they're not good? In fact, if anything, when I think about that statement, that definition, to me, it elicits a sense of guilt. In fact, I'll be honest with you, when I was reading it, I thought, man, that's kind of how I parent my kids when it comes to contentment, right? I tell them, you should be happy with what you have. Because there's somebody else that doesn't have what you have. And it's a listing. Is it true? Yes, there are people in this country that don't have some of the things that you have. Just like there's people in the, other, um, in the world, are thing, they don't have certain things that we have here in America. So there's true, but then there's this like underlying guilt now because I, I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not. So now I feel guilty. So if this was true of, con- of contentment by simply being happy with what you have, discontentment means you're unable to be happy because there is not enough. So when you look at both of those definitions of contentment, there is one main idea that comes through. It says both views are based on your circumstances. And here's the thing. You will get a sense of satisfaction and contentment when you get what you want. Of course, you wanted something and you get it. You you are happy. But it's an illusion of satisfaction because it's temporary. It doesn't last long. And then what even happens is once it starts fleeting, once that sense of satisfaction starts to go away, instead of us recognizing that what we got actually didn't satisfy, we think, oh, I need more. So we go for more or for the next. Instead of saying, oh, wait a minute, that really didn't satisfy. Sometimes I think of it like, maybe this will be a bad example, but I'm going to go with it. So I think I was thinking today, like, to wrap my brain around this. Let's say it's time, it's like two hours past lunch, and I am starving and haven't ate anything. Like, my body needs fuel. It needs to be satisfied. But a donut sounds good, so I grab a donut. Does it satisfy? In the moment, absolutely. It's really good. Give it some time, and then all of a sudden, my hunger comes back. And instead of saying, wait a minute, that donut really didn't satisfy. What is it that my body's needing, which is good fuel because I missed lunch? I think I just need another donut and then another donut. All right? So hopefully... That kind of gives you an element, a sense of what happens when we get dissatisfied. Instead of recognizing it, we just keep chasing more of it. Or we chase something else. So, but what if I told you that it is possible to experience contentment in the circumstances that you are in right now? But here's the thing. Your contentment cannot be rooted in that circumstances or the things that you have. Because think of how quickly it can change again. So we can have an experienced contentment where we are in life if it is rooted in Christ. So in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, and I'll be honest, this is one of those verses in verse 13. I always kind of took out of context and I didn't realize it for a very long time. I didn't realize it was all about contentment to me. When, you know, when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I'm thinking it's like, yes, I can do all these things because God strengthened me, which is true. But Paul is also talking about this in the context of contentment. So it says in verse um, 11, 
It says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, looking at the context of this verse, when Paul is writing it, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's doing it from a jail cell, a Roman jail. So he's in these circumstances, and he's writing to the Philippians that he has learned the secret. And what is that secret? It is through Christ, in Christ. That is the secret to contentment. There is a book on the back at the bottom of your page. I kind of I listed my resources um, that I've used. But there is a book written by author Eric Raymond, and it's called Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age. And I loved the definition that he pulled together for what it means from a biblical standpoint to be content. And there's a few key words in there. He, divine, he defines biblical contentment as an inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's providence. I love those words, the one inward. You see how the difference between worldly contentment and biblical, see the world says it's your circumstances, it's what's happening outside of you. But from the Bible, there's something inside that is allowing us to experience contentment. Now, it's not of ourselves, right? Because at the end of this definition, it talks about God's providence. But there is something inside that allows us to experience contentment. The word quiet. I don't know about you, but when I think of quiet, I think of peace. I think of when your soul is at that rest. And then God's providence, just a very quick explanation of this. Um, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power. It's his governing and directing and sustaining all things. It's trusting and that you know that God is over all things and sustains all things. And because of that, you can rest in him. So that's the definition there. Another example I will um, share with you where Paul demonstrates this type of contentment as well. It's in Acts chapter 16. This is verses 19 through 24. Um, just what, this is with Paul and Silas. So they are, they're in this town preaching um, God's word. They're sharing the good news, and they're seeing the fruit. They are seeing people come to Christ. And then there's this slave girl that starts following them, and she's filled with the spirit that tells fortunes. Of course, she's causing some ruckus and kind of um, yelling and hollering. And after a while, it says Paul got annoyed, and essentially Paul cast out the, the spirit that was in this girl. Now the owners, remember, she's a slave girl, the owners realize that they no longer cannot make money <laughs> off of this girl. So they're mad. They're mad at Paul and Silas. So what they do is they take them to the authorities 
And while they're in the midst of authorities, Paul and Silas, they get unjustly accused, they get stripped and beaten, and they get thrown into prison. In fact, it even says, it talks about they get thrown into the inner cell, and their feet are placed in stocks. So look at those circumstances. How I wouldn't be content in those. My spirit wouldn't be quiet. I'd probably be screaming. But this is their response. This is Paul and Silas' response in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. So this demonstration that in spite of their dire circumstances, they were still able to express the rest in God's providence. They demonstrated that this was an inward response, not circumstantial. It was a quiet, not complaining this, they showed that this was a work of grace, not of human effort. I don't think I could muster up any effort at all if I was in that situation, out of my own strength, to be in a place to start singing. And they demonstrated, again, the resting in God's providence. So, one of the lies that I want to make sure about contentment is contentment does not mean that you are indifferent to your circumstances. It does mean it is not controlled by your circumstances. Because if we think contentment means, you know, I I don't care what happens to me, it's not a big deal, because that's not true. That's not true. So it doesn't mean we're in different, but it means that it's not controlled. You know, Paul, back in um, Philippians chapter 4, Paul didn't say, I don't care what happens. No. He said, I know. I know what it's like to be without. I've been there. I've felt it. I know what it's like to be in plenty. I've been there. I've felt it. I know. But his contentment was not dependent on those circumstances. It was dependent on Christ. No situation, person, thing, or circumstance has the power to satisfy us. Anything other than God will lead us to a place of dissatisfaction, and only God can fully satisfy. So now we know what true contentment comes from. It comes from Christ and Christ alone. I want to take you to um, John chapter 6. This is where God, uh, where Jesus declares his first I am statement. And a lot of this actually is directly from the finding I am study from Lisa Turkers. It's about uh, how Jesus fully satisfied the cries of your heart. She just said it so well. I just kind of pulled it right out of there. But John 6.35 says this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So Lisa says in her study that in John 6.35, we find God personalizing his original I am statement from Exodus 3 through his son's declaration. Remember, God's I am statement from Exodus was so completely full that it needed no qualifier. 
It was the promise that his presence was everything we ever needed. It was all peace, all provision. It was all perfection. That was his promise given. But our human hearts were designed by God, not just for his completion, but also for his companionship. We needed his promise and his presence to be personalized. So he gives us something we crave physically on a daily basis since the beginning of time. And that is bread. And then he goes on, not just any bread. He talks about being the bread of life. Another thing I love to study is uh, I love to learn the translations of the words. So there's two different words that are used in the original context of the Bible. And they mean life, but in two different ways. And one of the words is bios, B-I-O-S, bios. This refers to the breath in our lungs, physical life. And that word, it was used only 10 times in the Bible. The other word used for life is zoe. And the definition for this, or the descriptor for this word for life, is possessed with vitality, looking to the fullness of life. And this word is used over 135 times in the Bible. So Jesus says, I am the bread of Zoe, the fullness of life, a vitality, not just this physical existence. See, Jesus doesn't want us to just live with breath in our lungs. He wants us to have this rare vitality in life, that in a place where we experience the fullness in our soul that someone should experience when they walk with Jesus every day. You know what I love a little bit earlier in John 6, in the beginning of that chapter, before he makes the declaration of being the bread of life, this is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And this is one of those stories I remember learning as a young kid in Sunday school and read over and over, but there were certain things that stood out this time to me when I was reading it. And it, it, it took his physical provision for something that people needed, but the way he did it, it just points to his exceedingly abundantly more life that he offers us. So we know that there's this large crowd of people. They come to follow Jesus, and, and, they, and I read it here, and it says, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And it makes me wonder, do you guys ever, when you read the Bible, do you like kind of start wondering? It's an amazing thing to do, but I start to wonder. I'm like, so did they follow him because they were curious? Or did they follow him because they wanted some of what they were seeing for themselves? Were they wanting something from him? So, but this large group of people came and Jesus looked up and he saw the crowd and he asked the question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus knew the answer, but he wanted to see the response. So Philip, he answered this, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Eight months' worth of work would not even give each person there a bite to eat. And I don't know about you, but a bite certainly does not satisfy me. You ever go like, I'm just going to have a little bite, and then next thing you know, the whole thing's done, okay? So a little bite does not satisfy. Don't believe that lie. Okay. So another one of his disciples, Andrew, he spoke up and he says, here's a boy with five loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish. You figure out the math, right? 
And Jesus said, have the people sit down. And so they all sat in the place, and then Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed those to who were seated. And listen to this. He distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And it continues to say he did the same with the fish, and when they had, or I'm sorry, when they had, all had enough to eat. So they got as much as they wanted. They got enough to eat. Jesus said, gather the pieces that are left over, nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and there was 12 baskets left of food. So here is Jesus in the midst of a circumstance that looks impossible, where a lot of people are probably hungry, and he provided for them physically, but he not only provided for them physically, he provided for them exceedingly and abundantly more. Five loaves, two fish. They had as much as they wanted, and they had enough. And then there was leftover. <clears throat> so Jesus shows that not only is he the provider he is the bread of life that gives exceedingly abundantly more than you can imagine. So then as we shift a little bit later in the story, that's where we land in John 6, 35, where he declares that I am the bread of life. Because you see, the thing that you have been desiring to achieve or to receive or the situation or the expectation you've been longing to happen they are not the source of becoming fully satisfied. Believe that they will provide all the satisfaction that you need and that they will make life great and wonderful and then you'll be loved. That is the scheme of the enemy that actually keeps you in an unsatisfied place. I love how Lisa kind of keeps going with this in her book. She says, our souls were made for the perfection of the garden. Therefore, they can't ever be satisfied by the imperfect grit and grind of the sin-soaked world. The enemy of our soul strategizes day and night to get us to settle for the bios life so we will never taste the hell-shattering fullness of Zoe. That is a pretty strong statement. If he can keep us from experiencing the fullness in life in Christ, he keeps us stuck in a cycle of dissatisfaction and discontent. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and I have come that may have life, and they have it to the full. All right, so we're going to go. Okay, so now we know contentment is only in Christ, and Jesus tells us that I am the bread of life. It's through him that we get to have this fullness. So why is it so hard to have contentment? What affects it? Contentment is so elusive because sin is so pervasive. And I have a list. It's a short list. There's probably more, and I'm going to just run through them. But there are two I'm going to sit on for a moment. One is comparison. If you want to learn about comparison, listen to the, pod, or the recording from November when Paula taught about comparison. It so steals our contentment. Envy and jealousy. I just clumped those together. Perfectionism will steal from your contentment entitlement I deserve that will take from your contentment and this one I'm going to camp out for a bit complaining and grumbling honestly when I read that I was like ew God I don't I don't 
I don't, I don't even think I want to share it. I literally did. I took it off. I erased it, and I put it back on. I erased it, and I put it back on. Because I said, God, I don't want to talk about that. Because I complain, and I feel like I have a right to complain. Hence the entitlement. But this is hard. But I want to talk you through what I learned as I searched and I, and I dug in. See, there is a difference. Um, well, Philippians 2.14, it says, do everything without, grum- without grumbling. I'm like, do you really mean everything? But, you know. So there is a difference. There is a difference between grieving and complaining. In this blog, uh, the writer Blake, he says that both are responses to pain and dissatisfaction. The Bible calls us to grieve, and it forbids us to grumble. One can actually bring us into contentment, and the one takes us away. So how do we know if we're grieving or complaining? He says to ask yourself this question. Is my expression of hurt and dissatisfaction drawing me closer to God or pushing me away? Here's some exa- or here are some traits of grieving. Posture of humility. Complaining, bitterness, and frustration. Grieving asks the question, God, where are you? Complaining says, God, you left me. Somebody who is grieving, they acknowledge the gap between the pain and his goodness, saying, Lord, this does not feel good. And you tell me you're good, but I'm over here, and I don't see how this comes together. Somebody who is complaining, they say, God, you're not good. Someone who is grieving asks, Lord, how can, we, how can you reconcile this gap? Show me you're good because I don't see it. I don't feel it. This is hard. Somebody that is complaining, they don't even seek out reconciliation with God. Somebody who is grieving, they ask the questions um, against their circumstances in light of God's unchanging character. Somebody who is complaining, they question God's character in light of their circumstances. Somebody who is grieving, it will lead to hope. Someone who is complaining, it leads to despair. So one another, number two, about what contentment is not. Contentment is not pretending you don't have problems. It doesn't mean you can't feel disappointment or grieve these unmet expectations. It's resting in God in the midst of these feelings and the difficulty, all right? So don't let the enemy fool you into thinking in order to be content, you need to pretend like there's nothing wrong. All right, the last one that affects your ability to be content is idolatry, all right? This is a desire for an obsession with something other than God. Idolatry is when we live in the land of if if only, right? If only this, if only I get this, then I'll be happy. Idolatry essentially is misplaced worship. Worship is adoring and ascribing total value to something. So our desires for something can be good. They can be good things. There are so many good things that God has given us that we desire. The problem is, is when that good thing becomes our God thing. And we desire that more than we do with God. So how do you know if you're stuck in a cycle with idolatry? When it comes to contentment, ask yourself, what would your emotional response be when that good thing is threatened? What do kids do when they don't get what they want? They throw a tantrum. Well, guess what? 
We never outgrow that. It just looks a little bit different as an adult, right? On the outside, we might be calm, but I will tell you on the inside, I don't know how many times I've told a mentor and some dear friends of mine, I'm like, the amount of temper tantrums I throw to God is ridiculous, you know? <laughs> like, there is yelling, maybe not on the outside, but on the inside. Or maybe as an adult, it's that irritability. It's lashing out towards others. You know what else is a temper tantrum? Denying the truth. Oh, I don't care. That's not allowing yourself to grieve. See, the other thing about discontentment, though, it can actually help point us to where we have idols in our life. Tim Keller says that idols consume you as you pursue them, disappoint you when you get them, and destroy you when you lose them. So here's the next lie about contentment. Contentment is not seizing or stopping to desire. It's desiring God above all else. You see, God wants the best for us, and he is what's best for us. Okay, so now how do we pursue it? I will go through this here, and this is something probably very passionate on my heart. So how do we pursue contentment? First, it says even um, what do we need to be content? We need to be in relationship with Christ. So that's the first thing we need. We have to have this in this relationship with him because it is impossible without him. We cannot be content apart. He gives us the strength to endure the disappointment that we may experience. He gives us the ability to rejoice in our sorrow. The second thing, in order to pursue contentment, we need to pursue God. So here's the thing. In that podcast I have listed, which I highly recommend if you have unmet expectations, but they talk about we will be content with our earthly possessions and circumstances no matter what when God himself is our greatest desire and we seek after him because he is faithful to give us himself. We have longings and desires and things that are less than God. And the only way to be content in the midst of those longings is to have a greater desire that pushes the other desires out. You know, in Psalm 37, um, 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight, you remember that from the beginning when I started talking? There is so much beauty and delight, but I feel like sometimes we don't know what delight means because we've never experienced what it's like to be delighted in. So delight is a source of great pleasure. It's something that we take great pleasure in. And there's a lot of same words with delight as goes with contentment, things like happiness, pleasure, gratification. So contentment is having um, a cause or the source of great pleasure. A desire is a strong feeling of wanting to have something. And let me tell you, there's a direct correlation between our desires and our delight. Because our desires proceed from our delight. Think of a tree. A tree has these roots, right? Your roots grow down. Your roots are what you delight in. So what you look for, what um, your source of great pleasure, that is your root system. And from that, your desires will develop. So sometimes we want to change our desires and we think, think of the tree. The desires are the tree, the branches. What do we do? We cut off the tree. What's happening? Our roots are still planted. So if we really want to change our desires, we need to take a look at what we're delighting in. 
And if you don't understand or know how to do that, ask God to help you see. Are you delighting in what the world says is good? Are you delighting in what the world said is beautiful? Are you delighting in the world and what the world says this means wealth and prestige? Are you delighting in that? Because it's going to drive your desires. And that's what you're going to do in order to achieve it. That's the direction you're going to go. But we want to delight in the Lord. So how do we delight in the Lord? And it says in verse, I'm sorry, in Psalm 37, 4, as we delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean he's going to give you what you want? I don't know, that new car or maybe that relationship you want, whatever it is you might be chasing. No, what happens is, well, it might be, but what happens is the roots that we are delighting in, it will start to change our desires. And our desires will start to line up with God's desires. So how do we delight in the Lord? We need to seek his presence. I love this concept. The same word for presence is face. We need to seek his face. Because maybe you tell me, Renee, I got number one. Check, I have a relationship with Christ. Okay, now do you seek him? Do you seek his face? Think of who you love to spend time with. Do you spend time with them because of what you can get from them? Or do you spend time with them because you enjoy being with them? See, that's the thing about seeking God's face. A lot of times what happens is we seek his hand. God, I need this. God, I want this. God, I need you to do this for me. And we need to, we need to give him our, our needs. We, he says to come, go to him, absolutely. But ask yourself, how often are you seeking his face? Or are you always seeking his hand? All right, in Psalm 105.4, it says, look to the Lord in his strength and seek his face always. Just like the bread, when people were following, going, crowd of people were going to Jesus, they were going to seek Jesus for the bread, not the bread of life. They were seeking for what they could get and not for him alone. So how do we seek? We seek by setting our mind and our heart on God. First Chronicles 22.19 says, now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Look for God wherever you go. We get on autopilot in our day. So I'm going to go through this list, and I'm going to tell you it's going to be your basic list. It's going to be pray and read your Bible. But here's the thing. We get in autopilot, too, when it comes to prayer and reading our Bible. How many of you maybe are in a good discipline, which is amazing, of reading your Bible every morning, right? Okay, I'm still working on that. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. But how many times after morning time's done? close the Bible, you're on with your day, and the only time you ever give God another thought is because, dear Lord, I need, give me patience with my kids today. <laughs> Let's be honest, it happens. We get an autopilot. So I'm going to tell you, how do you seek God? Yes, you pray, but it's an ongoing, intimate conversation. Look at your prayer life. Do you need to be doing more or doing it different? Are you in a habit, and then you don't go back to it? Second thing is meditation. Okay, this is learning to be still, and you're meditating on the goodness of God. It teaches, teaches us to trust God and knowing that he is active on our behalf. In Psalm 19, 119, it says, meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Meditation is not talking. It's considering. It's saturating your mind and heart with God's goodness. Um, I'm sorry, saturating your mind and heart with God's goodness. The other thing I'm going to tell you, again, is to read his word. It says that man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is God-breathed. 
And I know too often we get so busy in life, but I want to tell you this is not just fast food or something we can wait till later. Like this is life. So what I'm going to, sorry, what I'm going to do next, I know, i got to hurry up here. The last two things, but I'm going to invite uh, my friend Lydia to come up. The other two things is gratitude and thanksgiving. Because gratitude glorifies God because we exalt the giver. And the last suggestion is to meet with a friend or a mentor who can help guide you in the truth of the gospel and share your struggle. And then the last thing about contentment, what it is not, it is not the absence of longing. It's not the absence of longing. Because here's the thing, we were called to long for more. The term holy discontentment. We have a deep heart longing knowing that this world is not as it should be. And our hearts long for the day when he returns and makes all things new and makes all things right. So I'm going to have my friend Lydia. She's going to come on up here and share her time. So this is my friend Lydia, and I invited her to kind of come and share some of her experience and her testimony with us tonight. She is a mom of two beautiful girls. She also is kid, kids ministry lead, right, over at New Life Church. And then her and her husband, Dustin, um, her husband is the pastor over at New Life. And I'm so grateful for our friendship that Lydia and I have had over the years and getting to know each other. So it's an honor to have you here, Lydia. Thank you, Renee. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, I just want to ask, can you share a time when you have felt discontentment, whether it's like an unmet expectation or something you were desiring, and either you, you did receive it or you didn't? Wow, it is just, it is amazing. Like, all of your notes were exactly mine. <laughs> God is so, he's so good. Um, I don't have a specific thing, but the last couple of years, I've been on a journey. Um, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I love the Lord. He's my best friend. Um, but the last couple years, I've been on a journey wrestling with unmet expectations. And I think it was just small. They weren't big things. They were small disappointments over and over again being caught off guard over and over again. I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. I like control, and I like God to do things exactly the way I think they should be done. And so in 2021, um, we adopted our first daughter, and I was not prepared for the emotional challenges of adoption. Adoption is beautiful, and everyone um, focuses on that. But adoption is also hard and full of grief and full of pain because it starts with brokenness. Mm -hmm. And all of the emotions that go with that in the journey of three years waiting to adopt her. Um, then in 2022, I had a surgery. And though God answered so many prayers and I didn't have cancer, I didn't have endometriosis, all the horrible things that they thought... Um, Still, after the surgery, 
I was caught off guard by the pain that I still live with every day that I thought um, God would take away. And I was disappointed. And then a month after my surgery, I was in a car accident. And I thought God would do things a certain way. And things didn't work out. My health was fine. Um, He preserved my health. But things with my car didn't work out the way that I had hoped. And another disappointment. And then just the exhaustion of um, raising a toddler and... I felt like my heart was becoming sick. My hope was being deferred. My heart was becoming sick. And I remember walking past the fridge one day. Every verse in here is what you, one of the verses you shared. I was walking past the fridge and Mops um, had given me a little card with um, John 10.10 that said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I remember being so tired, so exhausted, in pain, walking past the fridge, looking at that and thinking, no, I'll never have that. I'll never have abundant life. I've missed it somewhere. I've missed the boat. I did something wrong. I don't know what that is. And I just walked on. And then from that moment, I started on a journey where Jesus began to speak to my heart and began to show me that abundant life is not a destination. It's not a circumstance. It is a person, Jesus Christ, and no circumstance can ever take that from you, and nothing, no um, next thing will ever give it to you. It is only found in Jesus. I love that. I love that it's not a destination, that it is a person. So we kind of talked a little bit, because I know this is on your heart, and I had mentioned this whole grieving and complaining, where you find yourself in that spot where you were struggling between grieving or complaining with what you were going through. Oh, definitely. I, I think I, I know I did some complaining. <laughs> um, I also did grieving. And one thing that God really spoke to me was grieving is okay. It's healthy. It's actually unhealthy not to. Crying is a very healthy thing. Crying out to God is healthy. If you say, oh, that didn't really matter. That didn't affect me that much. Because all the things that happened to me weren't huge things. They were small little disappointments building over time, over years, Mm -hmm. small unmet expectations. And if you just say, well, that wasn't that big of a deal. It really didn't matter. And you stuff that down. It's it's research shows it's very bad for your physical health Mm -hmm. and your emotional health, your spiritual health. Um, So it's very good to grieve and my favorite woman in the Bible is the Shunammite woman in 2 Kings, and that's what she did. She, her, she had longed for a son. She finally got the son. He was growing up, and then he died. And she takes him, and she goes up to the room of the man of God, of Elisha. She lays her son on the bed. She shuts the door. She goes out. She gets a donkey, and she rides as fast as she can ride to the man of God, Elisha. And she grabs his feet and she says, I'm not leaving here until you come with me because you're the only one who can fix this. And that's what we do with God. We grieve, we cry out, we release our emotions, and then we surrender them to the foot of the cross. Mm -hmm. And we grab his feet and we say, we are not leaving. We are not leaving you. We are not taking one step without you. 
because you're the only one who can fix this, because you can heal broken hearts, because you are the healer, because you bring beauty from ashes. You are the only one who can, and I will stay with you every moment of every day. You are the answer. Love that. I love that, Lydia. That's beautiful. And I love that you, you share that honestly, that you, it, is, it is a grabbing on to him. And so how has this changed, as we wrapped up here, how has this changed the way you perceive contentment in the season where you are now? How has it changed the, the seeking God or the grabbing onto him? Has something shifted in your daily habits when it comes to that? Yes. I had John, John 6 in all my notes. <laughs> this is so we did not plan this ahead of time. No. No. We had so, one phone conversation. This is so amazing. God has been just wrestling with me on John 6. And, you know, all those people followed Jesus because of all the miracles he was doing and because he fed them bread. And then he stood up and said, I am the bread of life. You eat on me. Mm-hmm. And it says, some of them said, oh, that's too hard. That's too hard. I'm done. And they turned and walked away. And Jesus looked at his 12 disciples. He looked at Peter and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think that I was in some of those circumstances I was seeking his hand and thinking God your hand can fix and do these certain things and when it didn't happen I thought oh I don't know if I can trust you I don't know if I can hope in you like I thought I could and then it's like God spoke to me are you gonna leave too were you just looking for the bread were you just looking for a miracle were you just looking for your healing no seek my face I am the bread of life And I came to that place where I said, Lord, where else can I go? You hold the words of eternal life. If if things, if my healing, if the things with my children, if all these things never turn out exactly as I expected, I'm never leaving you because you are the bread. He's, I love to say this um, when I speak at our church, Jesus is not an energy drink. He's not a little pep to your step. He's not, well, I can eat on all these things the world tells me. I can eat on um, whatever they're throwing at you, your new job, your new car, your new house, relationships, love, whatever the wounds and voids in your life are crying out for. And the world says, eat this, eat this. And then sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top of that or take a little, a little shot of Jesus with that. No, Jesus is not an energy drink. He is life. He is the feast. He's the whole meal. He's everything. And if you eat on him, if you invite his presence into every moment of every day, he will be all the strength that you need He will completely satisfy. He is the water that never runs dry. You can come and drink of the waters of life freely, freely, as much as you want, and you will find life. He truly is enough. So his word is so important because that's how you know him. You have to be in his word, and you have to invite his presence into every moment. Ask for his strength in every moment. 
and he will show up in the most beautiful, amazing mm. ways, and you will know him better than you ever did before. I love that. Thank you, Lydia. I love the, the vulnerability and honesty of where you come from such a depth of dissatisfaction. And you allowed that space to grieve and say, God, this doesn't feel good, but I know you are good. And to start flipping and to noticing that where you were seeking his hand, that it needed to be replaced with seeking his face. So I'm just going to go ahead. I'm so grateful for this conversation. Again, I'm so grateful for the privilege to be able to share with you today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap us up in prayer. And so then as we kind of close up, I know um, Sonia's going to be singing, but um, I think Mary's going to come up and do a few more announcements. But I'm just going to go ahead and close this up in prayer, if that's all right. So Heavenly Father, Lord, Thank you, God, that we have this space, Lord, that we can bring all of the things. We can bring all of our desires, Lord. We can bring all of our discontentment and our dissatisfaction. Lord, that we can bring it all at your feet and we can ask for forgiveness where we have pursued something other than you. And God, you don't turn away from us. You are there with open arms. You have been waiting for us to say, God, I need you. You freely give yourself to us, and you give yourself in plenty. So, Lord, I pray that as these longings of our heart come, instead of chasing after the wind, we are reminded, God, that we need to chase after you. We need to seek your presence. And it's in that place, God, that contentment can fill our hearts. And no matter the circumstance, Lord, we can sing with joy. We can have a quieted soul. And we can rest in your provision. In Jesus' name, amen. Much um, for your patience tonight. We ran a little over tonight. If you have to leave, feel free to do that. I just wanted to remind you of the um, cheese and chocolate galantines register. We want to be well prepared for you, and we're looking forward to that. And also, across in C2, straight across here, there are some women that are um, in, they're ready and willing to pray for you, with you. If something that was said tonight struck a chord in your heart, then please go across the hall. They would love and it would be an honor to pray for you. So I believe that there's a song to end and we'll be done. Okay, thank you. <laughs>